What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, the gambling gods rear their ugly heads as the Monday night double goes sideways. I break down the ATS coin toss that was Kansas City Buffalo before getting deep into whatever the hell that was in Dallas. I look at the handicap going in, where we were right and where we were wrong on just one of those nights. Then it's the first look at the Week 7 slate, where's the value and what numbers to target. Finally, we look again at the World Series, still confused about the odds for the series, and now the Game 1 matchup. It's time to head to the window. Let's go! Welcome to the window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. Folks, when you're right 52% at a time, you're wrong 48% at a time. Why didn't you say that before? <laughs> okay, Jimmy, you're off the hook. Have to bring out our boy, Smooth Jimmy, from The Simpsons after that Monday uh, fiasco. We start where we always do with don't look back in anger. And we'll start with the Kansas City Buffalo game. One, chronologically, it was first. Two, it's a little bit less interesting than that late game, uh, especially considering how good we were feeling about everything to do with that late game. And that just goes to show, right? In the NFL, just when you think you have all the answers, not that we necessarily thought we had all the answers. Um, But just when you're feeling good, right, like the NFL will just kick you right in the chest. And so Buffalo and Kansas City talked yesterday about how we had to get, you know, six points, right? Plus six was the number that we wanted with Buffalo and, you know, talked about the handicap, right? And it's sort of relatively, you know, unspecific given the circumstances, but, you know, we figured Kansas City probably, you know, they roll out of bed and they're going to score 20 five-ish points, right? Mid-20s. And that's what they did. Buffalo did well enough to slow the trajectory of the Kansas City offense. The problem is they didn't really slow them from an efficiency standpoint. And when you hear the cliche, right? Like, oh, gotta you know keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands, right? In a sport where they alternate possessions, it doesn't really matter. What you have to do is you have to force field goals. You have to, of course, force a turnover or two. And that didn't happen. Their one turnover that the Bills forced was you know, relatively inconsequential because I don't think the Chiefs are going to score at the end of that second quarter. Uh, and obviously, Buffalo wasn't going, was never going to make that long field goal uh, that they were able to, you know, at least generate an attempt on. So, you know, if that happens mid-second quarter, now you've got something, right, where the Bills can take advantage of that. That just wasn't the case. So, from a game standpoint, we go in with Buffalo plus six. The game's sitting on six late in the game. So, at that point, right, it's if Buffalo stops Kansas City, we get the ball back. And we're probably in good shape with the plus six, even just to push, and maybe Buffalo pulls out the win. If they, you know, give up the final first down there and Kansas City can just take knees, then we're okay and we get the push there. But it hits that middle ground of not stopping them soon enough, but stopping them at the last possible second where Kansas City then kicks the field goal. And even then, you go, okay, up nine. Kansas City going to be playing a pretty shell, prevent-type defense. Buffalo should be allowed to go down the field. Uh, 
you know, there was a year, I think it might have been even just last year, year before, where it just felt like every time there was a chance for a backdoor late touchdown, that's what we would get. And so there was plenty of time, two minutes left on the clock, obviously no timeouts, but enough time with that Buffalo offense that they could get the ball down the field, score that meaningless touchdown that would be, you know, certainly not meaningless for us. Josh Allen, who was frankly sloppy the entire game, really disappointing, expected him to bounce back. And so when we talk about the handicap of, you know, breaking down kind of where we thought the score was going to be with Kansas City in the mid-20s, sure enough, right, check mark, it was the Buffalo offense that wasn't able to join them in the mid-20s. And again, all we would have needed was, say, 21, 22 points, something, early, you know, in the low 20s to get the cover. And they just weren't able to do that. And in part, it was Kansas City playing, you know, making good plays on their, you know, on their back end when Buffalo was going deep early on, right? We saw Kansas City susceptible to deep offense from the Oakland Oakland from the Las Vegas Raiders of all teams in their previous game and so we figure okay Buffalo can do that like that's a thing that Buffalo can definitely do well they tried early on and Kansas City did really well to get a hand in right to avoid pass interference there was the one that was the flag was thrown and then they like decided it wasn't and that's a little fishy, right? Like, when do you ever see a pass interference flag thrown and then just get picked up? And I'm not even saying that it was. I'm just saying, when does a referee, an official of any kind, just change their mind after throwing the flag? Like, what was the other official saying to him that would indicate that that wasn't the case? So, uh you know, long story short, we don't get sort of fortunate in the end game, which is the classic uh, musical chairs thing that we talk about, right? Where it's like all of a sudden the game's just over and the score is the score. And how did we get here, right? And Kansas City was covering for, you know, a little bit of the game, right? Once they went up to touchdowns. But of course that gave, you know, Buffalo had plenty of time to go down and score a touchdown. And of course that's what they did, right? Like that's the expectation in that situation. And that's why you're you know, you're going with the underdog in that situation. So bit of a front door cover for Kansas City, um, but a game in general that's like, okay, it, it, I don't, I'm don't. i never going to say that like we deserved the cover in that. It was just very much, you know, we had more than enough opportunity to get the cover and, you know, certainly probably deserved at least a push in the end, um, given the fact that obviously, you know, Kansas City had to sort of be stopped in a very kind of small part of the field for them to kick that field goal, make that field goal uh, to get the cover there. Um, so, you know, but again, that was just a regular bet. That wasn't, you know, all that big of a deal. The big bet of the night, right, was Dallas plus one and a half, had it in the contests for going five and oh for the week, looking to go seven and oh in our big bets. That would have been awesome. And so in general, if these games were all lumped together on a Sunday and we came out of that Sunday going four and one in the contest, six and one overall, that's pretty good, right? We would have been fine with that, but it's sort of the buildup and it's why I hate using Monday night games as part of, you know, contest plays where you're just sitting there going like, you know, we never seem to get that last one, especially when it, you know, it's for a five and zero record. So four and one, we end up now 18, 11 and one in the contest, so, you know, above, back above 60%, you know, not at 65% where we were hoping to be with Dallas, uh, you know, theoretically getting the win there. So let's talk about this game. I mean, holy 
cow. Like, what what a game. So the handicap going in, right? Um, Dallas is going to be prepared, right? Andy Dalton's getting uh, all of the reps, extra long week, uh, motivational element of, you know, not being out of the division, right? Being two and two, still very much in it, coming off of a win, uh, you know, a win one for Dak, Monday night football, all eyes on us. The expectation that everybody on that team was going to play their best game of the year to help Andy Dalton play an okay game. And what happens? Andy Dalton ends up being the best player on the field for the Dallas Cowboys. And that doesn't end up looking like much because he spends much of the first half completely under siege as his offensive line is flat out missing guys, just coming straight in like walking right by them, like it was uncanny, like the one in the end zone where he sort of spins out of what probably could have and should have been a safety, he spins out to find Zeke Elliott. And of course he drops the ball, which was just a you know harbinger of things to come there. But it's funny, like a play like that, and there were a couple others where he was spinning out of sacks and getting away and throwing the ball away or finding guys um, you know, to, to get out of trouble. If that was Deshaun Watson... We'd be talking all about like, oh, his elusiveness, like he's just never say die, like he just wouldn't quit on the play, right? If that was even Carson Wentz, we'd be like, oh, the toughness, blah, 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 blah. But it's Andy Dalton and everybody loves just bleeping on Andy Dalton. And he's an easy target. I tweeted about it last night and it's like, he's the easy target, but like C.D. Lamb drops the ball. You know, the defense doesn't you know, doesn't help him out in any way, shape, or form. And then, of course, we get to the Zeke Elliott fumble fumbles, right? Like, I sent that tweet out before the second fumble happened. And so, you know, the handicap, again, okay, well, they're going to rely on Zeke Elliott, right? And that's not even the handicap, right? Like, that's just the, that's just the narrative going around uh, all the way back to Tony Dungy's hilarious comments about how, like, now the Cowboys can get back to their run game. As if their run game is anything like it used to be, given the fact that their entire offensive line, and I can now say entire because first quarter Zach Martin goes out. And their entire offensive line is now out. So it's basically five guys off the street trying to block for Andy Dalton. Big time problems, big time problems for Zeke Elliott. Does that excuse him fumbling? Not even close. It actually makes it even more ridiculous because those fumbles, by the way, were on him. It wasn't, oh, he just never saw a guy coming. It wasn't this, that, or whatever. It was, he didn't have the ball tucked away on the first one. And the second one, like, it was just loose. Like, he's just getting tapped as he's running through, you know, not exactly a huge hole necessarily, but, you know, a hole nonetheless. And he just drops the ball. And it's like, okay, if you could tell me before the game that Kyler Murray was going to complete nine passes and that Zeke Elliott was going to fumble the ball twice. Like, these are two things that you never would have come up with. And they were both obviously negatives in theory for either team. Obviously, Kyler Murray would have, Kyler Murray would have completed more passes if he needed to. I completely understand all of that. It's really just like, from a handicapping standpoint, like, what are we trying to predict, right? What are we trying to see happen in this game based on, you know, football stuff, uh, necessity, uh, you know, analytics, all of that kind of stuff. And yeah, sure, maybe because he's fumbled the ball a ton this season, maybe we could predict that Zeke Elliott would keep fumbling the ball. But it, again, the irony of a guy before the game saying that he's not going to fumble again the rest of the season and then does it twice in the first half. So it's not like he's not aware of it. 
right? It's not like he's, you know, should be in a position where he can be irresponsible with his ball security. That's not the case. He knows what he's doing, and he still does it anyway. And so, I mean, it's a bigger picture, you know, sports talk radio type thing here with regards to, (laughs) you know, uh, running backs and investing in them from a draft pick standpoint and whatever, whatever, right? And as much as Derrick Henry sort of lights it up against different teams, you go, okay, like, you can't spend money on a running back. You just can't do it. You can't spend draft capital on a running back. You just can't do it because it's sinking this Cowboys franchise. And so that happens. And obviously, you know, we're looking at a 0-0 game through one quarter. So it's not like the Cardinals are lighting it up. So this idea that like Kyler Murray, right? Like we talked about as far as the handicap is concerned, is the Arizona offense any good? I still don't think so, right? (laughs) Like it was two fumbles that gave them a short field after watching them just kind of dink and dunk, uh, out of sync with Hopkins, all of that kind of stuff, you know, not being able to get anything going in the running game. And then the fumbles happen and they get the two touchdowns, right? And the one thing that the Cardinals are really good at is red zone offense, right? They convert red zone opportunities into touchdowns. It's just a matter of keeping Arizona out of the red zone, right? So, you know, and we talked on Monday about like the two point conversions and having a plan, having a play like the Cardinals have that when they're in the red zone, when they're in goal line situations. So you can't give them those opportunities, make them go the long way. Now, you know, we get to 14, nothing. And what was the other handicap, right? Well, okay, the Cowboys defense, they're going to be improved because Leighton Vander Esch is in there coordinating that defense on the field. And the 80-yard touchdown to Christian Kirk, you can literally see Vander Esch signaling to the corner that got burned by Kirk. He's signaling something. I'm, you know, willing to bet he's signaling this is a fly right? Like this is a go route from your guy, like make sure that you're on this. And of course you can have the communication, but if Daryl Worley is completely unaware of what's going on, then that's not on Leighton Van Der Esch. That's not on Andy Dalton. That's not really on anybody other than him. And so when we're handicapping these games, and if you're sort of doing it from the surface level of, well, Dak's out, Andy Dalton's in, like everybody knows that. Um, or if you're on, you know, sort of the flip side, you're like, well, the Cowboys still have a lot of good players, blah, blah, blah. Or it's any other team. You have to understand, like a play like that, an 80-yard touchdown is on one guy a guy that, you know, we don't even know is out there in Worley, right? And so that, you know, how do we add that to the handicap? That's a seven-point play on sort of a third-string defensive back. And it's like, sure, we can go in and we do this. We go into the injury report. We find out who's in, who's out. And sometimes it matters and sometimes it don't. It doesn't because, you know, two weeks ago, Cardinals, without their safeties, without Buda Baker, how many times do you hear that guy's name? last night, right? So maybe that does make a big difference for that team. And you have to be a really vigilant, you know, football handicapper to sort of know the difference, right? And I fully admit, I bet the Cardinals two weeks ago against the Panthers because I didn't think the Panthers could take advantage of it. Little did I know, right, that Buda Baker was that important. We thought that Chandler Jones would be important in that he would, you know, in that he's missing and that the Cardinals weren't going to be able to pressure the Cowboys and for down for you know rushing they kind of weren't 
it, that's why they went to the blitz. And so they started blitzing guys, right? Blitzing, you know, Hassan Reddick, linebacker, who is sort of in there just to do that. Buda Baker, obviously in the backfield the whole day, a safety blitz, right? They were scheming it up and they were sending pressure. And so when we look at some of these other teams and you go, okay, who's going to be the team that's going to have a plan defensively on any given day? Who's going to have a plan offensively on any given day? And so full credit to Vance Joseph and the Arizona Cardinals for having a plan to just like shell shock the Cowboys with their blitzing. Right. So in a way, like we were right, obviously, from a, you know, pressure four down lineman, you know, type of pressure standpoint. But like we can't predict that the Cardinals are going to have a really good blitz scheme to absolutely destroy the Cowboys offensive line. Right. Like I'd like to hope that they would. I'd like to hope that all the coaches do. But we talked yesterday at, at length about how these coaches don't know what the hell they're doing on any given <laughs> on any given day. So how am I supposed to, you know, sort of predict that? So I'd like to think that the Cowboys are capable of sort of picking up those blitzes and doing what they need to do to prevent full-scale chaos. And so, you know, we've got this 21 to nothing game. And then again, Andy Dalton makes up not the best throw we've ever seen, but a really good throw into the end zone at the end of the half. And again, it's dropped. This time, Michael Gallup, right? So add to your bingo card of Cowboys F-ups. You know, oh, Michael Gallup drops touchdown, right? Ezekiel Elliott fumble. Oh, Ezekiel Elliott fumble number two. I've got bingo. And so Michael Gallup drops a touchdown, and we're looking at a potential 21-7 game where the Cowboys get the ball to start the half. And you're thinking, like, okay, if they could get this touchdown, we might have a game here, even if, you know, even if we're sort of talking about kind of salvaging our teaser leg, right? So sort of operation number one was make sure that the Dallas Cowboys can get seven points behind so that we can get in there under the teaser leg, and then we'll kind of work off of that. Because, again, we've seen it all season long, big leads evaporating. And part of the reason these leads evaporate is because the teams get these leads on kind of fraudulent you know, methods, right? So things that you can't rely on. So it's not like the Cardinals were working the Cowboys defense all the way down the field. They hit one big play that was sort of a coverage break by one guy. They had short fields from Zeke Elliott. So if you can avoid Zeke Elliott fumbles in the second half, and if you can avoid an 80-yard touchdown throw in the second half, you could, in theory, get back into the game, especially if you were down 21-7 at halftime and you had the ball first coming out of half. Well, no, of course, Michael Gallup drops the ball, too. This is a guy who's making insane catches the week before against the Giants. So, again, if the handicap is no one's going to do anything to help Andy Dalton, then, yes, we would have bet against the Cowboys, right? But, again, you know, we see Mike McCarthy after the game, and he's talking about how I felt like we were the most prepared that we've been all year. And, like, maybe that's true, right? Because, again, I don't think the defense was all that bad. It was one big play and a couple of short fields. And so, like, maybe they were prepared. Maybe Andy Dalton was prepared. Again, you thought he was the best player on the field. It just didn't look like much, given the fact that guys were not helping him whatsoever. And they're all kind of laughing off, like, dropped passes and that kind of stuff, right? And so... So, you know, we get into that second half and unfortunately it's, you know, now it's 21 to three and you go, okay, you still sort of talk yourself into at least trying to get to the plus seven and a half. And, 
you know, they're moving the ball down the field. And then really just one of the more all-time blatant pass interference calls in a league that will call pass interference at the absolute drop of a hat if anyone gets touched. Again, we talked about this yesterday with how it's almost impossible not to get to 20 points in a league where they hand out pass interferences the way they do. And in the first game, we get one that's literally thrown and picked up again. And in this case, we get a guy getting fully tackled knocked down and a guy grabbing the interception and going the other way with it and then to sort of make matters worse they drive the ball down the field you know again relatively short field and they get the pass interference call in the end zone which was just frankly not pass interference so at that point I mean if you hadn't already you're literally just going like oh okay like just everything is going to go wrong here like there was no way we were going to win this bet just based on sort of whatever you want to call it, right? Like karmic existence of just like everything is going against the Cowboys in this game. Now, I don't know what that means for us necessarily going forward here. Um, and this Cowboys team kind of like, you know, in theory you go, okay, I expect them to play their best game next week. And it's like, well, okay, they do that again and they blow it again and they, nobody shows up and all of that kind of thing. And you're just going, oh, okay, so maybe it's next week that they play their best game, right? Or do we overreact and we go, okay, like they, this team stinks, um, blah, 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 and we have to bet against them next week, right? Like, do we get that sort of emotionally tied in where we bet against them next week? Um, and we'll get into the board here, you know, the early look at the next week's board, and we can talk about that going forward. And then just need to mention, of course, you know, they're down 21 to three, or might have even been... Was it 21 to 3 or 28 to 3 when the field goal kicker? Yeah, it was 28 to 3, of course, because the Cardinals had just scored the touchdown. Uh, the, the field goal kicker comes on for the 58 yard field goal, and you're just like, even if this is the best kicker in the league, like, does anyone believe that this kick is getting made? Like, it's fourth and 10. You're down 25 points. You might as well go for it. Like, sending the kicker out doesn't make any sense, really, whatsoever. Um, so anyway, just, you know, one one of those games where you just kind of have to laugh at just everything that happened in the game. And yeah, like, the handicap ended up being wrong because the Cowboys as a whole sort of sans Andy Dalton, the Cowboys proper, if you will, just didn't do anything to you know, prove the handicap going in correctly. But again, Kyler Murray, nine of what, 23, something along those lines, not exactly lighting it up. And so again, we'll get to sort of what that means for us here when we get into the board this coming week. So Thursday Night Football, Giants and the Eagles, this line's interesting because it's it moved off of six, six and a half. It you know to be honest with you, it was seven I think before last week, and has fallen all the way down to three and a half or four depending on your book. And I'm going to tell you right now that I'm going to be on the Eagles in this one because this line has moved down because Miles Sanders is out and Zach Ertz is out. Well, here's a couple of issues. One, Zach Ertz hasn't been doing anything all season long. Two, there's a decent chance it seems like they're going to get one of or maybe more of Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, and Dallas Goddard back. And if that's the case, that more than makes up for Zach Ertz, who is probably a couple of years off of his prime at this point. That's not sort of a, a diss necessarily. That's just sort of a matter of fact. This is NFL careers, especially at a tight end position where things don't last all that long. Uh, you know, so that's an overreaction from an odds, you know, from a line move standpoint, right? And I know it's not sort of easy to bet on the Eagles, but you know what it's easy to do? It's easy to bet on against the Giants. And as much as they won the game, you can go, well, coming off a win, they're in the hunt, and da-da-da-da-da. 
the Giants still are just as bad as we always thought they were. And you can feel free to go through the stats from the game against Washington. You probably didn't watch all that much of it. And Daniel Jones, still not very good, right? We've got a short week, road team, you know, already a thing that favors the favorites in general, that favors the better team. You've got this sort of element of, you know, maybe the Giants think they have a chance in this division, but I know that the Eagles think that they have a chance, right? And maybe they're wrong to think that they have a chance to do anything sort of beyond that. They're not wrong to think they have a chance in division, but because we've seen what we've all we've needed to see from all these four teams. And maybe they're wrong about being a good football team, but they're right in that they have a chance here. And more than just a chance, I would probably make them the favorite at this point. So going into this Thursday game, like this is a must-have game for the Eagles. And so I like that they fought against the Ravens. Like I, you know, going in, I didn't like that the idea. I didn't think that they necessarily needed to. I thought that this was a game that they could kind of let go, um, but they refused to do so. So they're certainly not going to quit against a Giants team that, again, hasn't shown us anything offensively. The defense has been okay for the Giants. I completely get that. But if we can get a little healthier... You know, if we get guys coming in here for the Eagles, that I think that more than counteracts, first of all, Zach Ertz, but Miles Sanders as well. And Miles Sanders was in the game against the Ravens. And he was wide open for a touchdown early in the game when it, you know, sort of really mattered. And he dropped the ball. So without Miles Sanders, what are we really missing here? Because they were, you know, they lost by two points to the Ravens in a game that all of their offense happened after Miles Sanders left the game. So, you know, could Miles Sanders make a difference? Sure, game to game if he's playing well, but we've seen that there's no guarantee that that's necessarily the case, right? And we all know that running back is the least valuable position on a football team. Anybody can run through a hole. Now, can they create holes for him? For whomever is in four Miles Sanders, you know, maybe, maybe not, right? Play-to-play type of a thing here. But you're going to get the best effort I think you possibly get out of the Eagles. There's a chance the Giants, you're not going to get the best effort, right? Again, going on the road, short week, rookie head coach, still a really green quarterback. Uh, after a win where they're probably feeling, you know, pretty decent about themselves. And, you know, in the NFL, that's not what you want, right? Well, you want the team that's hungry, that's disappointed, that's maybe embarrassed. And I don't know that the Eagles are necessarily embarrassed, but I think they're certainly disappointed with their last couple of games, even if they can be proud of the way that they've come back in both those games against teams that are frankly better than them. And this is, again, a team that is not better than the Eagles. So I like the Eagles a ton here, minus three and a half, minus four, um, really kind of at any number below a touchdown here. I think the Eagles take care of business on Thursday. So we're going to get that into the accounts uh, as soon as possible. Buffalo and the New York Jets here, uh, not seeing a line here, but I'm going to end up betting on the Jets. Uh, I saw 11 and a half. I imagine that probably only goes up at this point. Um, It matters to me if, Sam Darnold is in. Sam Darnold is certainly a guy that if he's in, I want, I will be betting. I shouldn't say I want to because want to bet on the Jets is a phrase that we shouldn't be using. But I will be betting on the Jets if Sam Darnold is in at anything sort of higher than 11. And the reason for that is, again, I think Sam Darnold is a significant upgrade over Joe Flacco. And 
watching that Thursday night game a few weeks ago, Sam Darnold goes and he's playing really well, right? He's he, a 50 yard touchdown run. He's getting balls onto guys in time, uh, you know, on target, all of that kind of stuff. And then he gets absolutely smoked into the ground and he leaves the game and he comes back and he plays the rest of the game and it doesn't go nearly as well. And it turns out that he's playing with an injury that has left him on the sidelines for the last two games. Now there is some speculation that he's maybe not playing because they want to trade him. And that would be really interesting to see if that ends up happening. And the Jets go full tank with Flacco the rest of the way, which frankly is probably the right way to do things. That being said, being double digits plus underdogs at home here against a Bills team that right now is reeling. And the Kansas City Chiefs ran for like 300 yards on them on Monday night. And, you know, I don't know if the Jets are going to run for 300 yards on them. But, you know, in theory, the easiest thing to do offensively is hand the ball off to a running back. And again, the Jets offensive line, no great shakes, right? But neither was the Chiefs, right? We were running with the Chiefs a handful of just backup guys playing at different positions, right? Rammers is moving from guard to tackle and it's a whole thing. And they're losing guys halfway through the game. And, you know, so they, you know, so it's it's a backups galore situation. And the Bills still weren't able to do anything with that, which again is sort of another disappointing element in the Bills defense. And I don't know that that gets fixed in one week, right? It certainly didn't get fixed, you know, last week. And another short week for the Bills, right? So... <laughs> Obviously, a ton of the money is coming in. It's going to come in on Buffalo, right? Nobody wants anything to do with the Jets. But we're going to hit a point here where, of course, the sportsbooks know that, right? And they're going to push that line as high as they possibly can, knowing that people are going to just keep betting the bills or really moreover keep betting against the jets so we'll see how line how high this line goes we'll see what happens with the quarterback position certainly no reason to like run and get the jets into the accounts right now uh we can wait and see on that but unfortunately that's the lean that i've got uh more than just a lean in the next one carolina and new orleans seven and a half for new orleans i think this is too high this shouldn't be higher than seven uh my line is closer to six and a half so i'm already in carolina plus seven and a half get that into the account you know that line is going to be lower than that come sunday so when i announce that we're on carolina plus seven and a half and the line six and a half i don't want to hear anything from you people we talked about it on tuesday carolina plus seven and a half uh there's no reason to really think that the saints are necessarily all that good at this point and i think carolina for as much as they struggled against the bears defense and maybe the saints defense comes back off the bye week and they've got things figured out and it's just as problematic for carolina this week as it was for them last week against the bears but at this number, seven and a half, I'm willing to bet that a decent Carolina team, a team I think is okay, um, can hang in there with the Saints and may even be live as an underdog in this one. Cleveland and Cincinnati here, I think, again, we talked about it last week. Cleveland's going to go into Pittsburgh. They're going to get roughed up. I think Pittsburgh covers against Cleveland. And then we, you know, but we don't hold that against Cleveland in a real macro way. And that's exactly what happened. So I have to stick with that. And I have to, can't, you know, I can't hold that against Cleveland. On the flip side, right? Cincinnati covers against Indy and they look functional, right? A week after looking 
not functional. And sure, they're going home against a Cleveland team that when we look go back and look at the score, and we've been over that a billion times in this podcast over the last you know couple, few weeks, months at this point. I think we're getting value at Cleveland minus three here, right? This is a team that dominated Cincinnati. And I know they're going on the road, but again, not much of a home field advantage in general for Cincinnati. And a game that, again, Cleveland, I expect to sort of rally it up here. Uh, I would hope, you know, that they get some of their guys back a little bit healthier. You know, I had hope Baker Mayfield gets another week to heal the ribs. I would, you know, I don't know if that was sort of the significant thing that made them not very good this past week. I think obviously that sort of illness to Beckham, that was a hindrance as well. Um, But again, I think this is their second shot to beat up on Cincinnati. So minus three is the target number there. I'm seeing that right now at minus 120. You know, if we can get that at minus 110 at some point, that would be great. Even minus three and a half, I think is probably good here with Cleveland. And then it's our friends, the old Dallas Cowboys against Washington here. Uh, You know, and again, Having watched that yesterday, line down to minus three, I completely understand that. You you know, the first thing I think of is that Washington defensive line against the Cowboys offensive line that is in absolute tatters right now. We just talked about, are we going to get that like, okay, now the Cowboys, you know, now they buck up and, you know, give that effort that we expected to get in last night's game. There's also the element that we have to keep our eye on for the rest of the way here is NFC East against literally the rest of the league. And so that was the one thing that I was like, oh God, it is an NFC East against NFC West game. Like how in, you know, there's a very real possibility the NFC West right now is just on a completely different level from the NFC East. But this one's of course an inter-NFC East game. And at three, maybe there ends value on the Dallas Cowboys. Or maybe they just absolutely are a wreck. The Washington defensive line completely destroys them, and Washington is a live underdog here. So I'm not racing to bet this at all. Interesting, though, that the number is three, which is kind of a low point, I think, for this line just in general, right? Like, I can't imagine this going to two and a half. That would be awfully surprising, given that we haven't really seen all that much from the Washington football team in the last month to indicate that that's a fair line. Detroit and Atlanta. This one's interesting here. Um, I was hoping we could get Detroit plus three and a half. This line opened at three. Seemed like there was a little bit of juice on the favorite here. So it might be headed up to three and a half. I think a lot of people might be interested in Atlanta after getting the win against Minnesota. I'm not one of those people. I am sticking with the bet against the Lions, excuse me, bet against the Falcons as favorites. And I think the Lions are very live to win this game. Uh, I think there's sort of more to the Lions getting better after their bye week than the Falcons getting better just because they fired Dan Quinn. So we're going to be looking for the best line we can possibly get there with Detroit. Obviously, if that passes down through three and becomes a two and a half, it sort of indicates more, you know, think that we're on the right track. Uh, It will be a money line play for me for Detroit. It will be a teaser leg if this goes to two and a half, where we can tease it up to getting Detroit plus eight and a half. I think that's very interesting and a play that I'll be looking at throughout the week. Green Bay and Houston. I think we're getting a decent deal here on Green Bay. I think we're, you know, people are thinking that Houston's actually decent with Bill O'Brien on the street. 
Uh, and, you know, that might be the case, um, but we didn't see anything from the Houston defense that would indicate that that's the case. And I think the offensive performance last week from Houston uh, was a little more indica- indicative indicative, indicative of uh, of. Tennessee's defense and just that matchup in general, right? Two teams that kind of know what each other's uh, tendencies are from a, you know, both sides of the ball, but especially defensively. Uh, And so in this case, you know, Green Bay, we might be getting a deal here on an offense that's going to move the ball up and down on Houston. And now do I necessarily love the Green Bay defense? No, but I think there's a little bit more that they can do against Houston's offense. Um, given the fact that this is going to be that sort of shootout type of game, right? Like this isn't going to be a situation where Aaron Rodgers gets shut down and held to, you know, obviously what, 10 points this past week. So I think we might be getting a deal here on Green Bay at minus three and a half. I'll be happy to uh, take Green Bay in that situation. It might be a public side. That's fine. You know, it is what it is. Uh, Pittsburgh minus two against Tennessee. I think we got some problems here if you're Tennessee, right? We got... Tennessee, obviously losing Taylor Lewan, uh, that's a real issue when you're going up against Pittsburgh's defense. Obviously, Devin Bush out for Pittsburgh's defense, so some problems there as well. So I'm not necessarily siding at this point with either team. Pittsburgh's the two-point favorite right now, which is about where it was when this game got postponed a few weeks ago as it sort of moved from Tennessee minus one all the way up to minus two. They were able to take that down, refund everybody's bet, and reopen it to where the line probably should have been the whole time um not sure again what we're going to do with this obviously at plus two maybe tennessee plus eight is an interesting one uh pittsburgh coming off of two home wins against significant teams to them right philadelphia interstate rivalry right the west versus the east that kind of thing cleveland obviously a big game we talk about Pittsburgh not getting up for some of these, you know, relatively inconsequential road games. Tennessee, probably good enough to get their attention, but probably good enough to beat them as well. And so uh, we're going to kind of leave this one on the sidelines for now. We'll have more of a take on it Friday. And then, of course, an official idea about what we're doing with it on Sunday. Seattle and Arizona. I think yesterday's game also gives us also gives us some value on Arizona as well. Because again, you look at the box score and you go as simply as like Kyler Murray completing nine passes. Is that something they're going to be able to get away with against Seattle? Sure, Seattle's defense, not great. Getting healthier though, I expect Vernon Adams to be back, right? That's obviously a critical piece um, for them. They have had success in the recent past at Arizona, where normally a lot of times we like grabbing Arizona as the home dog against certain teams. Um, You know, are they going to confuse and manipulate Russell Wilson the way that they were able to get things done against Andy Dalton? I don't think so. So I think we're also getting a relatively cheap price on a Seattle team that I think if it wasn't for last night's game, this game might be four and a half, five, maybe hovering up to six, but you're getting people sort of talking themselves into sort of the Kyler Murray concept here, um, maybe a little bit more than they probably should be. So um, potentially a little square there as well, going with Seattle. I know we usually like to fade them as favorites, but I also like them on the road more than I like them at home because again, over the course of the recent history, they've better been a they've been a better road team against the spread than they have 
home team, right? Everybody just assumes, right? Seattle, home field advantage. Even when the crowd's in there and the 12s are going crazy, the, the numbers just don't back that up. The ATS records just don't back that up. They indicate that Seattle is overvalued at home. And we've seen that a fair amount this season, even though they covered against Dallas, right? Like that was a game that they didn't necessarily maybe deserve to cover. Uh, and of course, obviously didn't cover and probably should have lost to the Vikings. So I think we get a little bit of a, not a buy low spot necessarily, but I think there's going to be enough people talking themselves into the Cardinals in the market here that at three and a half, uh, I certainly don't think it's going down to three, but at three and a half, I think that will be worth a play on Seattle. Jacksonville and the LA Chargers. I mean, Right, we got the two forces here, the two trains that are coming directly towards each other. We've got Jacksonville's just general crappiness against Anthony Lynn as a touchdown favorite. We are going to have an explosion here on the tracks, and it is going to be horrific. Uh, don't have a play for this one. Number has moved down from 7.5 down to 7, sort of teetering right now where you can get 7 with some extra juice. Uh, you know, I can totally see the Jags winning this game. I could totally see them, you know, making this close. I don't really want anything to do with the Chargers at a significant number. And of course, significant being seven or seven and a half. Um, we'll see sort of, you know, who gets who back. Looks like the Chargers are getting uh, Melvin Ingram back. That's obviously a factor for them uh, defensively. Uh, but we're, well, we got a lot to work with with uh, with regards to that game. Uh, Kansas City and Denver. Kansas City up to nine points now that they've beaten the uh, Bills on the road. Short week for the Chiefs. You know, it's hard to like the Broncos. We'll see what number this, you know, where this number ends up. Can it get up to 10, 10 and a half? Maybe at which point we might be into the Broncos who defensively, you know, you say what you want about, you know, the Patriots or whatever. But there's, you know, that was a decent defensive performance by the Denver Broncos. And I'd like to think that there's a familiar familiarity element to the Broncos and the Chiefs um, that they might sort of be able to institute a plan to, again, keep the Chiefs in the mid-20s. Like, that's the goal. Just keep them in the mid-20s and see what you can do. And if you're the Broncos and you're, you know, underdogs by nine points, maybe 10, that's probably our target number, if you can just give up 24 points to the Chiefs, right? All we need out of you now is 14 for a push, 17 for, you know, a win against the spread. And a lot of the times that just means staying within 14 points and just having the ball last with some time to kind of move it down the field. Now that didn't work out for Josh Allen, but nevertheless, right? That's the idea when we're talking about these big spreads. Uh, San Francisco and New England, this is going to be a hold your nose game. And it's funny because we're holding our nose by betting on the Patriots, which is such an odd thing to say, but I think actually might turn out to be pretty fun. Total buy low spot on the Patriots, right? Like that goes without saying. Total sell high on the 49ers. And this is one of those games where it's going to be like, oh yeah, give me the 49ers. Getting points? Oh, money line, all of that kind of stuff because of the way they looked on Sunday night. A game that nobody thought they could win, right? So we love the going from, you know, nobody thought they could lose to nobody thinks they can win. And we love going from nobody thought they could win to nobody thinks they can lose, right? That's the perception swing. And we've got sort of two ships here. Nobody thought the Patriots could lose to the Broncos. They did. Nobody thought the 49ers could win against the Rams. They did. And now everybody's going to be on the 49ers. This number has fallen under three, where we can now get the Patriots minus two and a half. That is definitely a play for me. I like Belichick and the gang here. Full week of practice against a 49ers team. That again, 
quarterback still not that great by the way right running game was excellent against the rams the patriots should have an answer for that after this week Mostert out uh the 49ers are on their third center at this point um defensively still not all that great i think you're going to get a better effort you're going to get you're going to see more out of the patriots offense like we saw sort of before the covid chaos happened with that franchise where they were moving the ball against teams like seattle right and so i think this is a great spot here for the patriots at two and a half they're going to be on every card that i have barring some sort of um you know covid or injury news or whatnot uh tampa bay and the raiders sunday night game here and doesn't this also feel like i think every sunday night game at this point has been three point road favorite and here we are again right bucks going from no way they can lose against the bears to no way they can win against the packers to now no way they can lose against the raiders here coming off of their bye week obviously an impressive performance against the chiefs maybe that bye week was the best thing for them given that they're you know sort of eliminated a potential letdown right we saw the raiders against the saints so if you know the bucks are probably a pretty good comp to the saints from a quality standpoint from a stylistic standpoint and so the raiders offense i think pretty decent and I kind of like the Raiders in this one. I kind of like that this is just going to be one where the worst better you know is going to be all over the Bucks in this one. Right after a week where they probably didn't want anything to do with the uh, to do with the Bucks. Right after a week where they loved the Bucks. So it's going to be that kind of thing. This is one of those where you got to circle it. Probably hold your nose. So we're getting a little hold our nosy here at the end uh, on Sunday. Monday night game, Chicago and the Rams here. We're going to wait on this. Uh, this is a game la- that happened last year where literally Chicago was on the road to the Rams. I believe it was a Sunday night game and not a Monday night game. Uh, I was on the Bears here at plus, I think it was something like three and a half, six, anywhere. So basically kind of the same spot that it was right now. And the Bears were in this game and Trubisky was the quarterback, and he missed a couple of wide-open shot plays that would have had touchdowns that would have given the Bears the lead. Am I saying that, like, the game is going to go the exact same way, but Nick Foles is going to hit these plays? No, I'm not. I'm just saying that we've seen this game before, and not really much has changed for either team, right? We know the Bears' defense is good. We've seen them against this Rams offense have success in slowing it down and keeping the Bears in the game. It's just a matter of, are they going to be able to take advantage of the stuff that they weren't able to take advantage of? I think they missed two field goals in that game. It was basically a game that they could have won outright that they just left on the table. And I think the Bears know that, right? I think they know that most of the guys on the team have been there. They look at the tape from last year. They go, man, we should have won this game. Monday night game here Uh, obviously a different stadium um, but I don't know that this is necessarily a different Rams team right the Rams do what the Rams do we love the Bears defense this is going to be a spot where we are going to be on the Bears we think we might get six the same way that we did this week with the Chiefs again didn't necessarily work out but I think we get six here um, with the Bears and that's sort of our target price if not if we get all the way to Monday and we never get six Four and a half is still, you know, good enough. That's kind of where I would cut it off. Maybe five. I don't see it going below five. And if it does, then I think we're probably onto something from that standpoint. So um, that's the story with the NFL for week. What are we up to? Seven? Is that a thing? Holy. Time is flying. A couple more things to talk about uh, to close out the show here. World Series going tonight. Talked about this a little bit on Monday's show. 
the Tampa Bay series price, completely out of control. Don't understand it. Listen, could be wrong. Dodgers might sweep, whatever. But Tampa Bay, plus, I'm seeing a plus 185 out there, series price at Pinnacle, uh, plus 170s abound. Anything in that neighborhood, I think, is incredible value. You've got a pitching matchup tonight. You know, let's just start there. Glasnow and Kershaw. Glasnow, plus 155. I just think there's a ton of value on Tampa Bay, right? I know they're not the flashy team. I know they're not the big payroll team here. But just from a pitching standpoint, and I'm including the bullpens as well, Tampa Bay is just set up way better here. Glasnow and Kershaw, right? Even just in general. Like, factoring in each guy specifically, Glasnow is a bet-on guy for us. Kershaw is a bet-against guy. Now, the Dodgers may win the game. Things may happen. Who knows, right? But in general, we've got a bet-against a bet against a bet-on guy here, and that's just sort of a no-brainer at the price that we're getting. Anything plus 150 or above on Tampa tonight sets that up. Hopefully, they can get things started. Um, and again, Tampa Bay series price, 170. That's just It's just too high, right? Again, I don't know if we're going to win the bet, so don't go nuts as far as like dumping the account on it, but it's just too high of a price. And if you want to sprinkle, you find some sort of derivative that says, you know, Tampa minus one and a half on the series, right? Which means they need to win in game six. They need to win in five, maybe even a sweep, something along those lines. I would grab that too, right? Because they are set up right now from a pitching, starting pitching and a bullpen, you know, sentiment that it's, it's just you know, there's just too much value to sort of pass up there. So we are obligated to make these bets on Tampa. And then the other thing, we're going to take you a little bit behind the curtain here. Uh, it's Tuesday. So you're wondering, hey, Tuesday's with Ted. Where's that at, right? What, is he gone again? No, we recorded a good 25-minute conversation that included some recreational betting sort of stuff as, you know, he and his friends as a recreational better and sort of trying to get better at betting. And then a really good chunk on boxing where, you know, we had the Lomachenko-Lopez fight from this past weekend that, you know, if we had been on top of things a little bit better, and this is on me and a little bit on him as sort of our boxing guy, um, you know, that we would have been on top of that for Tuesday. Uh, he, in the, in the segment, readily admitted that he would have led us to a loss because he bet on Lomachenko. Problem is, the segment didn't work, technically. And this is, again sort of technical first world problems, that kind of thing. The record just completely botched. It had us sounding like we were overlapping each other, talking over each other because his audio was a little bit out of sync from my audio. Nobody's fault. It's just kind of thing that happens sometimes uh, that unfortunately, you know, doing a daily podcast, it's not like we can just go back and re-record it. Um, maybe next week we end up sort of talking about it a little bit more, but it was so good that it was like one of those things where, you know, you do the essay and it's almost done and you've got it worded the way you want it to get worded and your, you know, computer blows up and now you've got to rewrite it and it's just never going to be as good as it was that second time. So unfortunately, uh, it's, <laughs> I could, I could put it out and you'd hate it. You'd be like, what the hell is this? Uh, this is an atrocious audio. It's almost, you know, difficult to follow. These two just sound like they're talking over each other. I promise you we weren't. Um, but yeah, so just not worth sort of putting out there. Um, so kind of, you know, just falling in line with, uh, the last 24 hours of disappointment, uh, technology not helping us any way, shape or form as well. 
That's all we've got for you today. Subscribe, rate, and review. I know it's a thing you hear on everybody's podcast, but it really does help. So please do that. Until next time, I'll see you at the window.